1: You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, including guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Marina Berkovich. She's an author. Her book, it's my life through my dresses. She grew up in Soviet Russia and in what is now Ukraine. Uh, she also is the founder of the Southwest Florida Jewish Historical Society. We'll also visit with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of um, American Commitment. His column, most recently, More Debt Without Spending Reform is Dirty, and will also visit with Professor Larry Bell, Endowed Professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture, and author of several books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is January the 20th on this day in 1981, minutes after Ronald Reagan's inauguration as the 40th President of the United States. 52 U.S. captives held at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran were released ending the 444-day uh, Iran hostage crisis. On November the 4th, 1979, the crisis began when militant Iranian students outraged that the U.S. government had allowed the ousted Shah of Iran to travel to New York City for medical treatment, seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, the Ayatollah Khomeini, Iran's political and uh, religious leader, took over the hostage situation, refusing all appeals to release the hostages even after the U.N. Security Council demanded an end to the crisis in a unanimous vote. However, two weeks after the storming of the embassy, the Ayatollah began to release all non-U.S. captives, all female and minority Americans, citing these groups as among the people oppressed by the government of the United States. The remaining 52 captives remained at the mercy of the Ayatollah for the next 14 months. President Jimmy Carter was unable to diplomatically resolve the crisis, and on April 24, 1980, he ordered a disastrous rescue mission in which eight U.S. military personnel were killed and no hostages rescued. Three months later, the former Shah of Iran died of cancer in Egypt, but the crisis continued. In November 1980, Carter lost the presidential election to the Republican Ronald Reagan. Soon after, with the assistance of Algerian intermediaries, successful negotiations began between the United States and Iran. On the day of Reagan's inauguration, the United States freed almost $8 billion in frozen Iranian assets, and the hostages were released after 444 days. The next day, Jimmy Carter flew to West Germany to greet the Americans on their way home. That resolved the crisis. It's kind of interesting when Reagan got in. That also resolved the crisis as well. Well, Speaker of the Florida House uh, Paul Renner announced landmark school choice legislation had been filed Thursday. Thursday. The Florida Way is about to expand freedom and opportunity, Renner said. Today, we empower parents and children to decide the education that most fits their needs. The bill is HB1, would provide access to education savings accounts, or ESAs, and expand eligibility to children with unique abilities, and the speaker office said it would increase access to innovative education resources and allow parents to customize their child's education. It's also going to create some uh, competition with public schools. I think this is terrific. It's the first bill coming out of the House, pretty significant, means it has a lot of support, and uh, Education Savings Accounts are going to do a lot for parental choice and school choice in the state of Florida. The School Board of Education voted to affirm the Florida Department of Education's position that school districts can separate bathrooms by biological sex. I can't believe we're covering this topic. I can't believe they're making these decisions. But unfortunately, in today's woke world, this is what it's come to. Back in September, Commissioner Manny Diaz filed a comment against the federal government's proposed rule that would have incorporated sexual orientation into Title IX I read the comment that the department filed with the U.S. Department of Education, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, uh, said Esther Bird, who's a board member. Reading sexual orientation and gender identity into Title IX is not only legally incorrect, but it undermines the intent of Title IX and would set women back years. I just think that we need to take a position on this, and it would be, uh, like to move that the board affirm and adopt the department's comments that it filed with the U.S. Department of Education on September the 12th. The board voted to show support for the department's comments after U.S. 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that St. John's County School Board did not violate a transgender student's rights in Title IX when separating bathrooms used on a biological sex basis. General Counsel Andrew King, also board members, that uh, told board members, that the uh, Department's comments take the same position as the court it did. They just said, in other words, it's not legal for schools to separate bathrooms by biological sex in order to protect the privacy and safety of uh, Florida students. The uh, Department of Education's comments not only takes the uh, stance of the 11th Circuit, but also says uh, tying sexual orientation and gender identity into Title IX would violate parental rights. Another terrific decision coming out of a... Uh, the uh, bureaucracy of of Florida, well, the the governor, led by the governor, but also by the school board. Finally, about uh, Florida news. Uh, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis approved measures on Tuesday to prevent the Florida Retirement System pension plan from investing in accordance with the Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Movement, also known as ESG. According to DeSantis' office, the approval of the resolution will ensure that public fiduciaries invest state funds in a manner that prioritizes the highest return on investment for Florida taxpayers and retirees without considering the ideological agenda of the ESG movement. Critics say the philosophy confuses profit maximization with political and social agendas such as reducing carbon emissions or promoting purported racial equity. Corporations across America continue to inject an ideological agenda through our economy rather than through the ballot box uh, DeSantis said in a press release. Today's actions reinforce that ESG considerations will not be tolerated here in Florida, and I look forward to extending those protections throughout this legislative session. Another terrific decision on the part of the governor. DeSantis proposed measures for the new Florida legislature that would bar financial institutions from discriminating against consumers for their religious, political, or social beliefs, as well as prohibit ESG rankings from preventing residents from assessing financial services. Uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock is not too happy about this, obviously. He's kind of licking his wounds. Uh, but he's had tremendous blacklash, and there's been billions of dollars withdrawn from BlackRock as a, la- uh, as a result of his, and I'm talking about Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, endorsing ESG investing. So another good decision on the part of the governor. Well, U.S. stock indexes closed lower yesterday following a Labor Department report showing weekly job jobless claims were lower than expected. Now, you think that'd be good news, but it's not which dampened optimism the Federal Reserve is curbing its aggressive interest rate hikes to cool the country's hot labor market. The Fed's recently uh, had a series of sharp rate hikes, have also stoked fear of recession. The Federal Reserve is set to make another rate hike as its policy meeting next month. The Dow was down a bunch, got creamed, down 252 points. NASDAQ and uh, S&P 500 followed as well. Now, these disappointing uh, unemployment reports, they sh- you know, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, there's a lot of uh, boomers that are retiring at this time. So it, it may be something deeper than just people. They, the other thing that's happening is that because of people are hoarding labor that perhaps they don't need because it's going to be difficult to find workers. That's another thing that might be occurring. But irrespective, I, I think there might be something deeper than just uh, people are just... Uh, I think they're leaving work and perhaps retiring rather than just uh, losing or uh, staying in employment. A well, prosecutor said actor Alec Baldwin will be charged with involuntary manslaughter in the uh, fatal shooting of a cinematographer who was killed in New Mexico in a movie set. Hyena uh, Hutchins died shortly after being shot during rehearsals for the film Rust at a ranch on the outskirts of Santa Fe, in October 2021, Bobbin was pointing a pistol at Hutchins when the gun went off, killing her and wounding the director, Joel Souza. Santa Fe County Sheriff Aidan Mendoza, who led the initial investigation to Hutchins' death, described the degree of neglect of the film set, but he left decisions about potential criminal charges to the prosecutors after delivering the results of a year-long investigation. The report did not specify how live animation. Ammunition ended up in the film set, although <clears throat> the woman who was in charge of the props was told to not spend so, so much time with the, in an email, don't spend so much time with the guns and be more concerned about all the props. That certainly should uh, weigh in on the, on the uh, decision about this, but irrespective. Initially, uh, investigators found 500 rounds of ammunition at the movie set on the outskirts of Santa Fe, a mix of blanks, dummy rounds, and what appeared to be live rounds. That should not have happened. In any event, uh, Alex Wawa will be uh, charged and could uh, be put in jail for 18 months. We'll see how this resolves. Alex Berenson posted information on a new study from China that shows four COVID jabs can send the immune system into complete collapse. Mice who received more than four COVID vaccines had a collapse in their ability to fight the coronavirus, that according to Chinese researchers, the damage extended past antibodies in the immune system front line of defense against viruses and bacteria to the T-cells that form the crucial backup. The researchers reported that finding a peer-reviewed paper published December the 22nd in the Journal of iScience is surprisingly clear that language they warned, our findings demonstrate potential risks with the continuous use of SARS-CoV-2 vaccine boosters, providing immediate implications uh, for the global COVID-19 vaccine enhancement strategies, later in the paper, the researchers even warn- were more direct. We found the protective effect of the humoral immunity and cellular immunity established by the conventional immu- immunization were both profoundly impaired during the extended vaccine course. The finding has not been confirmed in humans. It's but uh, the mice that our researchers used are genetically altered to model accurately the human response to the coronavirus and have shown to share profound similarities that the uh, humans in response uh, to infections. So uh, this is a real warning. Quite frankly, in my opinion, uh, these vaccines... And boosters should be taken off the market until there's more evidence to suggest that there's, uh, quite frankly, the results are more negative than they are positive at this point. I'm no medical doctor. I'm no immunologist. But I am a concerned citizen. And I take a look at this information. And I see that young people are dying way more than they should. And uh, while their correlation is not causal, uh, there, c- there could be a cause here and uh, for young people dying uh, inexplicably. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Bee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulubees.com and stop by Lulabies Diner, open from 8am until 2pm, 7 days a week Lulabies Diner, in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads, stop by Lulabies Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time
0: 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. Health If you're planning on traveling abroad, your health plan, your health insurance plan, may not cover international travel. And uh, you want to make sure you can travel worry-free, so check out the website and uh, look into international travel insurance. It's the internationalhealthplans.com is the website, internationalhealthplans.com. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Marina Berkovich. She actually grew up in Soviet Russia. Right now, we have with us William Yeatman. He is a le- senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Certainly. Uh, William, tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
3: You bet. We're a public interest law firm, and we represent Americans from government overreach and abuse.
1: Terrific organization. Pacificlegal.org is the website, Pacificlegal.org. William, I want to get your thoughts on what's happened with these, uh, going on with the uh, classified documents that uh, uh, I guess Biden craftily hid near his Corvette. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what are your thoughts
3: well uh let's see since we last spoke on friday a fourth batch of documents was uncovered at the biden home um so uh, evidently that caught at least the white house press secretary off guard because the day before she had told the press that the review for documents was complete uh-huh. um one of the more remarkable things regarding this I guess, a rapidly unfolding story, um, was a New York Times report this week, sort of on the the Biden, the, the inner circle they're thinking during this, this entire imbroglio. And uh, according to the reporters, evidently the Biden team sat on this for 60 plus days, because, again, as your listeners are no doubt aware, this, they first discovered these documents, or the first batch of documents on November 2nd, um, they sat on this because they thought they could deal with it in-house and secretly, hmm. which is mind-boggling, both the hubris um, and also, I guess, the the, the political calculus. I mean, it's it just a sort of a remarkable insight into what they were thinking. I mean, they honestly believed um, that they could keep this away from everyone. Um, and uh, I guess the other bit of news regarding this story, or uh, one of the many, um, is that evidently it's taking its toll on the Biden presidency. Um, his approval rating dropped sharply from 44%. It was flirting near kind of uh, the, the highest it had been since his inauguration, um, and now it's down back to 38%. So, um, you know, re- regardless of their uh, reported efforts to try to keep this secret, the cat is out of the bag, and the American people, I think right, rightfully so, um, are, are sort of uh, uh, dubious on his explanation so far.
1: Yeah, and I, I think he's trying to say, hey, I'm cooperating, so what's the big deal here? Why is everybody so upset? <laughs> well, you know, you could cooperate after you've murdered somebody, but irrespective of your cooperation, murder is murder. And stealing documents, is, uh, classified documents, has its own penalties. It's, it's a crime.
3: It is, and indeed, so this effort by both the Biden team and, I guess, sympathetic reporters to paint this in an entirely different light mm-hmm. um, than what Trump went through. And granted, there are distinctions, and by no means, am I, I guess, condoning what what Trump did. Um, but the fact is, the parallels are obvious, and they just sound foolish when you know he keeps on insisting. I think his exact quote this week was, "There's no there, there." Yeah. Um, well, why, you know, what trust has he earned on this issue given that he sat on it for 60 days? And I'll note this as well. Given the evident plummet in his poll numbers, it sure does stand to reason that if they had been forthcoming about this information, um, which came out before the midterm elections, that it potentially would have had a political impact, an electoral impact. Right. So it, it is, you know, there's just a number of elements of this story that are. are um, uh, suboptimal, if you will, from a from a good governance and transparency perspective.
1: Oh, no question. In fact, uh, uh, the uh, just Department of Justice say, "Well, we'll let uh, his lawyers, who are by the way on the payroll for the United States government, we'll let those lawyers go go through the materials because we well, think they're trustworthy." Do you think that would have happened with Trump? I don't. Th- I don't think so. And yeah, here's the other thing too. It makes me wonder, perhaps, uh, the way. The New York Times is uh, turning the Washington Post, uh, and it makes me wonder if perhaps they're not done with Biden. If perhaps he's getting thrown under the bus.
3: Well, we shall see. Uh, um, But no, I do agree that he has piqued uh, uh, widespread media interest. I mean, you know, silence invites that sort of stuff, And, and the fact is. If you sit on an explosive story like this for sixty plus days, uh-huh. um, it is going to incur some interest as to who made that decision and, and how they went about that. And it's slowly leaking out the information. And it is, a, a, you know, I, I guess it's there are just desserts because the, the administration does appear to be paying a steep political price for all this.
1: No question. So, William, let's turn to the debt ceiling right now. And uh, now. Yeah, this Janet Yellen, the uh, Treasury Secretary, said, well, you know what, We've, it's the 19th, that's yesterday, and we now have to deal have extraordinary measures in order to deal with the debt situation. So um, this is a real stand-down right now between the White House, uh, the Democrats, and the Republicans. What are your thoughts on all this?
3: Well, shoot, I'll note at the outset, and as you've noted before on our Friday calls, um, there's a lot of kabuki theater with these extraordinary measures. I mean, you know, Yellen basically puts it on the table, and uh, it'll be six to 12 months down the road before uh, the rubber actually meets the road with respect to hitting the debt ceiling. That aside, the politics is heating up, and, and I will also uh, observe the $31.4 trillion. That is the debt ceiling. I mean, that is just a mind-boggling amount of money And we're reaching a debt ceiling faster than we otherwise would because of Biden's $500 billion, half a trillion dollar unilateral student loan policy. So this is sort of a it is interesting, at least to me, how his half a trillion dollar unilateral spending policy sort of brought this upon us on these extraordinary measures. But as you say, there's going to be some brinksmanship here. Um, The House GOP uh, appears committed um, and somewhat unified in terms of in, with respect to getting spending cuts in exchange for this vote on the debt ceiling. And just to remind your listeners, the debt ceiling is in essence a, a limit on how much the government can borrow to pay spending that Congress has authorized. Um, but GOP wants to pair the debt limit vote to spending cuts as they did in 2011 when Obama was president and Biden was vice president. The uh, white house Democrats and most senate democrats are at this point refusing to even come at the ta- come to the table they think they've got um i guess they think they've got a winning political hand although i'm not quite sure about that uh i will note this a wild card senator manchin um who has long had uh, expressed reservations with runaway national debt um he is sort of broken from his party on this and is willing to listen um, to what the House GOP is saying and potentially work with them. Uh, and he says that there are other Senate Democrats who agree with them. So notwithstanding the president and Chuck Schumer's current recalcitrance to come to the table, uh, there may be some movement behind the scenes, at least among Senate Democrats. Um, so we'll see. There's there's, well, there's a long time before this will actually come to a head. So we'll have, um, plenty of time to speculate. Um, but here's to hoping... They get this under control. I mean, $31.4 trillion, that is just so much money, and uh, it is far past time to... Uh, inject some element of responsibility into how we go about spending.
1: Yeah, and, and on top of that, there is so much waste. There's so much bloat and so much fat in the budget. This is an easy, This is uh, not a difficult task, quite frankly. You mentioned the five hundred billion dollar student loan forgiveness. Uh, how about the eighty seven thousand IRS agents? how About the Department of Education? I mean, you could go down a list. My guess is you could actually have a surplus after you ended up cutting all the fat out of the government. I, I realize that's <laughs> here. I, I realize that's not acceptable that's that's not to the uh uh, democrats but hey come on guys i mean to your point this is not sustainable we are going to the country is going to collapse if we don't deal with this debt situation
3: it, well, it, look, it, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is a it is a problem, and you can't ignore it forever. I mean, we, it's a common sense thing here. Like, if, for personal debt, no one can just ignore their personal bills, their personal debt. Yeah. And as it is true for an individual, so it is true for a nation. And um, this sort of bury-your-head-in-the-sand approach, which has been adopted by both parties with respect to this problem for a very long time, is, as you put it very well, unsustainable.
1: Yeah. Again, William Yateman, a uh, senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Marina Berkovich. She wrote a book, uh, My Life Through My Dress, is so interesting. She grew up in Soviet Russia. This will be a very interesting discussion. We're going to have that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Hartman Show, and now here's your host, Bob Hartman.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They prepare your elected officials to win in the legislature. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Marina Berkovich. She grew up in Soviet Russia. She wrote a book about it. It's called My Life Through My Dresses. Marina, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. I always love doing your show.
1: Thank you so much, Marina. Well, I'd be interested in your observations of what's happening now politically. Uh, you've in many cases in past interviews you've talked about the similarities of what you're seeing right now happening in the United States and what happened in Soviet Russia. Just just to give you an open question. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, uh, I've been an observer, if you will say that, um, of um, similarities between the two countries for about 43 years as of a couple of days ago. It was my 43rd, 43rd anniversary of being in the United States. And um, the similarities were always present because of the size of the population of the both countries and the multinational composition of the population. But um, right now, the behavior of the government scarily and eerily um, replicating almost the behavior of the government um, of the Soviet Union at the time that I was growing up there, which was the 60s and the 70s, before, so well before the war of, in Afghanistan and uh, the Russian war in Afghanistan, not the American one. And unfortunately, The um, size of the government, the lies of the government, the pretense of the population that they're being told the truth, although some of the population already knows that the truth is being hidden from them. Um, This all is scarily reminding me of what I lived through already and what I don't want to happen again. But unfortunately, it's a snowball and it's been snowballing very speedily. Um, in the last couple
1: of years. It's all so happened, in my mind, in any my observation, it's all happening so quickly to see how we're going to a government that lies to us, that, uh, you know, for example, com- comments like the, the, the economy is booming and we're doing great. Well, the economy is not booming and we're not doing, doing great. So it's lies and perpetuating what I think is a, a really bad policy, which is going to lead to our demise. Oh. Um,
2: and it's intended. I think it's intentionally designed to bring down the capitalist platform of this country, both economically and soci- sociologically, uh, because, um, you know, the build that bet- better plan is just like the Soviet five year economic plans that they had that we all had to, you know, do or die, comply with. But in reality, everybody knew that it was all a bunch of lies and a bunch of falsifications of documents in the end. And then the politician went, uh, politicians went into the open platform or on the air and television. And they were telling us how well everybody was doing. And in reality, at every factory, at every plant, in every school, in every kindergarten, children knew that they were being you know, served false goods and had to participate in acting up these false goods just so that they could satisfy the politicians who already made false promises. So, to build that better as a socialist plan to destroy America.
1: Yeah, so Marina, I mean you were in Russia, you saw the population there. It, it, based on your experience in Russia, I mean, what what can we do to change this around? I mean, it's, to me, it's just, it's like watching a car driving off a cliff in slow motion. You can see it happening, and yet uh, it, it seems like the the momentum is there. It's just, it, we're going down this path that is that it's going to be destructive.
2: Well, I think that the deep state is too deep-seated to, um, you know, actually anything to be happening really quickly to remove it. And um, the American population and the American constituents, mostly, uh, allowed this to perpetuate for such a long time, um, decades. Um, I don't know. I don't see a quick solution. Uh, I wish we could be like in the utopia uh, world and like, you know, on Donald Trump show, whatever he was doing, The Apprentice, and tell everybody in government you are fired and hire <laughs> back or leave the people who are actually deserving Serving the people that they were elected to serve because most of our congressmen most of our senators regrettably are participating in all of this pretense already and unfortunately some of our congressmen and and women I don't want to be politically incorrect and leave the women out <laughs> and some of our uh, senators and this goes both you know all the way and federal and state levels and city levels in many places Um, Some of them, of course, are very deserving and very honest. But um, majority of what people get to hear, unfortunately, is through mass media, who is extremely corrupt. um, And there should be a test for integrity. There should be a test for intelligence to serve in government and a test for integrity as well. But there also should be a test for integrity to serve in public media, because people who serve as deliverers of news or opinion heads, they often enough do not understand the essence of the things that they're discussing in such open domain.
1: It is refreshing, though, to live in the free state of Florida, isn't it?
2: it is i'm we're all so lucky here in florida and that's where people are basically i call it immigration from every other state into the state of florida not dissimilar to the immigration and of when we were running away from the ussr Absol- um, except you know they're not at this point they're not yet tripping everybody of their money
1: So Marina, uh, your book, uh, My Life Through My Dresses, I've read it. It's uh, such an interesting and transparent uh, story about your life. Why did you write the book?
2: Um, Well, I wrote this book uh, because I always wanted to communicate to people who are growing up or who were growing up at the same time in America who are mostly liberal in their makeup because America was a very liberal-minded country, post-Vietnam era, during Vietnam era, post-Vietnam era, so in the 60s and 70s, and America was being taught to hate the Soviet Union uh, because there was a Cold War going on, so our cultures did not really understand each other. So I wanted to communicate to people of my generation what it was actually like, because we were taught to hate America. And the the two countries practiced exactly the same propaganda, very similar. And, and, you know, this is not going to be a popular thought, but this is all very similar to Goebbels-like propaganda of the Nazi Germany or the Stalin-like propaganda of the Soviet Union of the 30s and 40s. And we all know that um, socialist countries that those two were, it didn't end well. So I think that we're going through another round, another circle, uh, like always has a tendency to repeat itself when history is not learned. So I wanted to educate primarily. That was my first purpose. But also I wanted to share with people my own survival story of uh, growing up in a very dysfunctional environment, um, as as well as the country. My family was also dysfunctional because socialism ruins family relations, as Americans are now observing because of all this trend, uh, not even knowing... To find what a woman is is in our latest hotspot. But um, you can survive it if you change your frame of mind and change the way that you were brainwashed to deprogram yourself to actually see the truth. Well,
1: I just highly recommend My Life Through My Dresses by Marina Berkovich. Uh, Marina, how can we get a copy of the book?
2: Um, You can go on Amazon on Barnes & Noble or on my own website, which is marinabercovich.com.
1: Marina, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. I admire all the work that you've done. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much, Bob. Have a wonderful weekend.
1: You as well. Thank you, Marina. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: or of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Oh, great to be with you.
1: Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment.
4: Well, we're a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to uh, pick the fights uh, that are on the margin where a little bit more citizen engagement involvement can make a difference and uh, tip the outcome in a more free market direction, and all our stuff is on AmericanCommitment.org.
1: AmericanCommitment.org. Just check out the website because the uh, the issues are there, and you can uh, be, actually can have a big impact by supporting uh, Phil in these efforts to uh, – have common sense legislation. So, Phil, you wrote a piece called uh, "More Debt Without Spending Reform Is Dirty." It's such a timely column. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Well, I just get annoyed, uh, uh, Bob, because I keep seeing these. Uh, I keep seeing these media stories saying, you know, why, why won't Republicans go along with a clean debt limit increase? Why are they against a clean debt limit increase? And they keep and 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 I, I just, to me. If you just keep increasing the debt limit, and you don't do anything to solve the debt problem, there's nothing clean about that. That is not clean. That's the opposite to me. And so I just find the way that they use language to be very twisted in this particular circumstance. And of course, you know, the whole reason that the debt limit exists is so that we have, you know, an automatic mechanism where you know everyone has to kind of stop and reassess and think about the trajectory uh, that. Federal deficits and debt are on, and so it's not just on you know autopilot, um, but rather you know when when we keep racking up federal debt, uh, there's a mechanism to force Congress to come together and think about you know changing the trajectory or on doing something so we don't just keep accumulating debt, and if all you do is increase it every time you get to it, um, well that's a problem then you're going to have a real crisis, not a manufactured media hype crisis, but a real crisis where we actually can't afford to pay our bills because of how much debt is accumulated.
1: And you point out in your column, it's not like, uh, you know, if we don't increase the debt limit uh, that we're going to all of a sudden start defaulting. You know, I think you pointed out in the column that uh, the uh, percent of our budget or the income that comes in, we have, what, $5 trillion a year coming into the federal government from taxation and other sources of income that uh, actually that paying the debt is about 10% of the uh, of the uh, total amount of income.
4: yeah, that's the other uh, that's the other language game that they play. They act like um, you know if we breach the debt limit if we reach it, you know and uh, you know they exhaust these extraordinary measures that we're going to suddenly stop paying our bonds and we're going to be in default and uh, there's going to be uh, the creditworthiness of the United States will be destroyed and you're going to have a financial meltdown. Well, That is completely untrue unless the Treasury Secretary is insane, because what would actually happen in that circumstance is we would operate the government on a cash basis. Yeah. We would be limited in a given month to spending the revenue that comes in that month, because you can't issue new debt. Now, that uh, would obviously be extremely disruptive, given the enormous deficits that we're running. You wouldn't be able to pay for a lot of things that the government is doing. But why wouldn't you pay the bondholders? I mean, logically, you would pay them first, wouldn't you? Right, absolutely. I I just the idea that you would actually default on bonds, I find to be ridiculous. I I don't think that would ever happen unless the Treasury Secretary is an insane person. Well,
1: the the other side to this is we have so much bloat and fat in our budget right now. I mean, this is a great time to to address some of those issues like, for example, forgiveness of uh, school loans, 87,000 new IRS agents, and we could go down the list of things that can be cut, to make sure that there's enough money to pay our bills.
4: Yeah, no question. And and this is the thing. I don't think that uh, I don't think that the Republican position is we should never raise the debt limit. Uh, period. Right. I think what they're saying is, okay, maybe we're willing to take on more debt, but we've got to have a plan to solve the problem. Uh, we're not going to just basically, you know, what Democrats are saying is essentially the equivalent of, you know. We're, we've maxed out all our loans, so we're going to we're going to go to the bank and tell them we want to hire we want more loans. We want to raise the amount of indebtedness. Uh, and then they say, well, what's your plan to solve the problem And we we have no plan. We're not going to change anything. We're doing everything exactly the same. Well, that's a ridiculous that's a ridiculous position. I mean, if the Democrats didn't control all of the media, that position would be completely laughable. It wouldn't even be under consideration, but that's the position they're taking and they you know, they're taking a pretty much a hard line on it. Look, the, the, the point, I think, uh, that Republicans need to make is that the problem is not the debt ceiling. The problem is the debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to do something about, about the debt. Uh, if we're going to take on more of it in the short term, we've got to have a medium and long-term plan to actually solve the problem, to actually solve the out-of-control federal spending problem, because revenues revenues last year were the second highest they've ever been as a percentage of the economy. The problem's not on the revenue side. The problem's entirely on the spending side. And I, I think what what the House Republicans really need to do, and obviously this is easier said than done, they need to pass a bill sooner rather than later. They need to actually show what they would cut and that they can get you know unity or near unity among Republicans and actually pass it, even with the small majority that they have. You know, If they can't do that, they're not going to win this confrontation. But if they can do that and the bill that they pass is something sensible and defensible and they can make that case to the public, ultimately uh, public opinion is going to decide how this turns out, I think. and uh, If they can explain their position and do it in concrete terms and actually pass a bill, I, I think even with a Democratic House and, a Democrat, uh, sorry, with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic President, we could actually get a really good resolution of this.
1: I agree with you, Phil. And frankly, uh, with the, all the communication uh, cards stacked against uh, the Republicans, you know, with regard to mainstream media, social media, and so forth. They just need a good communication plan around this legislation as well. I think American people will support it if, in fact, it's communicated well. Again, Phil Kirpin, the president of uh, American Commitment. I encourage you to visit AmericanCommitment.org. You can find the column as well as uh, what what can people do? I guess they can like how do they support this issue?
4: Well, you need to contact your um, your House member. It's really the most important thing. Uh, if you're if you're represented by a Republican in the House, uh, you got to tell them to stay strong on this to support a, a deal that actually solves the debt problem. Uh, if you've got a Democrat in the House, shame them and then tell them you know how outrageous the Democratic position is. But uh, the House is the key right now. Uh, the fight will move to the Senate later on, but the House is really important right now.
1: Phil, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you, Phil. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also an author. He's written about a dozen books. His latest... Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific and transparently uh, autobiographical read. And he also writes a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh,
5: it's always a pleasure. Thanks so
1: much. Oh, my pleasure, Professor. So your latest column is, Who had access to Biden's classified documents? That's a great question. Maybe you can tell us about it.
5: Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people are showing some interest in the difference in the treatment of, uh, Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago, you know, the rate on his, uh, private property versus the, uh, circumstances with Joe Biden or, or, as we've discussed before, uh, uh, a president has full authority to declassify documents. a vice president doesn't. And, uh, so there was a big media do about the Mar-a-Lago you know, stash where actually the, the National Archives knew all about that place, that the stuff was in secure storage. They had even asked to you know, put a lock on the storage room, which Trump did, and they are negotiating in terms of what what documents they wanted and so on. So everything was in the works and then i guess I mean, like a month later they just they just raid the place and yeah. uh with no with no warning with guns drawn early in the morning and, and they go into the the you know the former first lady's wardrobe closet and son baron's and teenage son's bedroom looking for stuff is just egregious and you compare that now with uh very little coverage of the, uh, you know, the classified documents that have turned up at the um, Pennsylvania University Biden Center, which is curiously had an awful lot of Chinese money donated to it, millions of dollars, and also to the university since Biden had an office there. But so some documents turn up in a closet there and uh, also in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, and also in his, his home, rather than raid the place, they have um, his own staff and attorneys go in and report back that they're finding documents and so on. Strangely, the FBI and, and DOJ haven't, Seen fit to have people on hand of their own to make sure that you know that things are being properly reported. You know, they made a big show of uh, strewing Biden. You know, the the documents and at Mar-a-Lago out on the floor for a public display, but <laughs> but but no such no such theater with Biden and and uh, such a double standard. But one of the questions is. Who had access to those documents? Because the ones at the Penn Center had been moved there from somewhere before the office even had opened. Right. And 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 so there's been no no um, custody uh, log of where those documents have been and where they've been seen and who's who's been who's had access to them. Is is lawyers who don't have security clearances. Have had, have had the purview to go and and, and s- sort through the documents. What, what right do they have to, to do this without FBI presence? And, uh, and then on top of it, you've got some apparently in a cardboard box and uh, stored in his garage next to his Corvette, Which uh, and who had access to the, to the garage. You can imagine any number of people.
0: Mhm
5: you know as it's, it's the we're seeing uh, evidence of a of a two tier justice system in this country that's really looks like a banana republic
1: no it certainly does professor and i quite frankly as I'm listening and I'm reflecting on what you're saying i'm saying I'm thinking to myself, talk about a smoking gun, and Biden with a smoking gun in his hand is saying, you know there's nothing here. <laughs> it's, it, it's just so corrupt. I mean, it's so in your face. I just can't believe that he expects the American people to buy into this.
5: Well, even that finding out now that the OJ and FBI knew about this, uh, they knew about Biden's stash when, when they, when they crashed in on Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. and, and, and then kind of the repeat of the Hunter laptop cover up and you, you, you know, they knew they knew about the the Biden cache uh, cachet of documents before the twenty twenty two midterms again. And just as they they knew about hundreds laptop for about a year before before the twenty twenty elections and said nothing to the public. So this is just egregious and and, and uh, Merrick Garland is appointed special counsel now to look into this when I, I don't expect that uh, that's doing anyone any great favors because I think, you know, it'll, it'll seal a lot of the information on what really happened. I think the 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 big hope is that, as we discussed before, the uh, turnover of the House, you know, the oversight committees and the the we'll committee and the judicial committee to uh, James James Comer and and uh, Jim Jordan, uh, for example, is going to release a lot of information that that they've been collecting for a very long time. So, yeah, whether we learn anything from the, you know, whether there's a grand jury, whether there's anything from from the special counsel, I'm skeptical about that. But uh, I'm more hopeful that we'll hear, hear something from the House.
1: Absolutely. It just makes me wonder perhaps if uh, Garland is not uh, winking, say, uh, you know, slow walk this investigation to, uh, to the gentleman. I've forgotten his name now. Uh, but the other thing is can they actually uh, use this as protection against the testimony? about this situation to the uh, subcommittee on the, on the house in other words can they say well this is under investigation by a special special prosecutor so we can't discuss it
5: well I, <clears throat> that's, a, that's an interesting question I'm I'm certainly no legal authority on it on that but uh, I think they it seemed to me that the uh, the house committees have subpoena power
1: yeah
5: and they can call anything anyone that they want. As witnesses, and uh, I suspect that there'll be people at, uh, at at Pennsylvania Biden Center they're they're almost sworn to it to uh, investigate where all that China money came from. You know, about I think it's forty-seven million dollars that they got from China to the university, and then I think separate, and, and then university was paying Joe Biden nine hundred thousand dollars salary over over a couple of years for a a no show professor position and i think he, i think he met about six times or or so actually with students and some of the time was to promote a book he wrote
1: yeah
5: so so there's just a lot of really murky stuff here and 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 to me the you know the big consequence will be this stuff is going to be Coming out just just like Trump had two impeachments and then his kangaroo court on Capitol's you know, January sixth riot show trial. Uh, I, I imagine, without much doubt, that there'll be a some impeachments launched against Trump for the border as well as for perhaps you know for this latest scandal. I, I don't expect the Senate would. You know, would would uh, follow through on that, but as I've said before, it's all about twenty twenty four, and mm-hmm. I think what they were trying to do is is damage Trump so he couldn't run again. And now they got another problem; it's not just Trump. You know, and DeSantis may be the candidate. Who knows? And and all the all the distraction about anti-Trump hysteria. Uh, you know, they don't have that. Uh, working for them, perhaps, anymore.
1: That's so true. Again, Professor Larry Bell, his book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, a terrific read. Also, check out Newsmax.com and Professor Bell's column, On Point. Professor, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Bob, I always enjoy it so much. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Professor. Okay, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for Monday's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, Larry Reed, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several murder mysteries. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.